I leaned over to someone and said, nothing's a big deal to this guy. Everybody else worries about stuff? <laughs> Whatever, I got seven kids. I just, <laughs> so God be with you. That is so great. Um, I did think as well as I walked this morning, someone came in and uh, they said, oh, Jeff, we had such a great time at the date night on Friday night, um, which was really fun. And she goes, I just want to tell you what I appreciate about you so much. And I'm like kind of getting kind of built up. She goes, it's just that you're, you're a wreck. <laughs> and I just... She goes, no, I mean that in the best way. Like you, you actually talk like a person who doesn't have everything together and all that stuff. And I was like, I think that's really good. She's like, no, it's really good. She actually came back and was like, I really, it's really a good thing. I go, I think, I think you think it is. I mean, it sounds like it's good. But I like her point. She was trying to say that this is a place for people, if you're new with us, welcome. If, you, if this is kind of, you haven't been here before, this is a place for people who do not have everything together. And um, we are a group of people who are learning what it looks like to follow Jesus and love other people and Hopefully, if that's something that's at least interesting to you, whether or not you're convinced about Jesus, that at least you get a sense this is a group of people who are, who are just kind of in the same boat, that nobody has everything figured out and nobody has all the answers. Now, I do want to uh, do, do one more thing. I do actually have one more gift card, and I want to do this just really quickly. Is I, I want to um, just identify if, if you're a person who's been dating the longest. <laughs> like, I, I would say, if you have been, I'm going to give you an awesome dessert, Okay. You've been dating for over a year. Raise your hand. Like, we've been seeing each other for over a year. Okay, great. It's been awesome. Two years. Two years. Three years. Anybody been dating three years? I can't see. Is there a hand? Okay. Where else? Three and a half years. Four years. Five years. How long have you guys been dating? Yeah, but when, how old were you when you guys started dating? 15. Okay, put your hand down. Okay, come on up here. Come up here. You guys, come up here. Come up here. Yeah, come up here right now. Come stand right over here. Both of you guys, not just by yourself. Okay, lesson number one. Okay? This isn't about just you, okay? Now, okay, so here you guys go. I'm going to give you just a dessert right here. Now, here, while you're up here, I just want to, how long have you guys been dating now? Four years. Four years. I just want to let you know I am a licensed minister. And... Um, I, don't, I just want to let you know as well, there are witnesses, and um, I'm just saying, what are you waiting for? Uh, if you want to do premarital counseling during this service, Tim Keller, raise your hand. We can do that. And at, and at 1 o'clock, some of you guys are going to stick around. We're going to have a wedding for these guys. Isn't that great? So happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, right on. Dessert's on us. Congratulations, you guys. What a great day. <laughs> guys are like, I, I, hate, I hate this church. All the... And every woman in the room is like, this is the best church ever. I love this place. <laughs> All right. Um, really, 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 really excited about this series. We've had some great feedback from people. We've had um, some, just some great interaction with folks, getting some, even some emails from folks with great questions. And, uh, man, there is great stuff happening in our midst. I, I, um, as I think about uh, what we've got going on today, I'm, just, I'm as excited about this message as I am about any of them. Um, we are in a series called The Art of Relationships, and what we've been finding over the course of the past couple of weeks is that it really is more of an art than a science. That, in fact, we talked about in the first week that relationships is a lot like a dance. That at times where everything's moving together and we hear the music, everybody's in step, and other times we're kind of kicking each other in the toes and, you know, kicking each other in the shins and wondering why it's not working out. And I, I think for a lot of us, we have, we have moments where it's beautiful, but, you know, definitely not always. And uh, if we're looking at this whole, the whole ethic of what it means to be, in, to be connected as a community in the early church, there's one thing that gets repeated often, like more often than not, and it's expressed by, by Paul, who actually is quoting Jesus um, 
who's quoting the Old Testament, which is this right here. He says, for the entire law, in other words, the, the way we're going to do everything, we had to sum it all up as this early community of people who follow Jesus. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. To say it differently, it's like if we're going to get, if we're going to make relationships work, the way we have to start is by thinking about the other person. And so today I want to talk about uh, what I think everybody in this world needs help in a little tune-up, at least in some capacity or another. That nobody, no, no matter how great you are in relationships, no matter how smooth of a dancer you are, so to speak, in the relationship world, every single person in the world needs a tune-up in this. And no matter, I mean, because if we do it wrong, we get trapped. If we get it kind of messed up, we end up undermining our best intentions. It's once something that I think could make or break us. And that's what I want to talk about today in relationships. Let's, let's pray and we'll jump into today's message. Jesus, we're grateful that you love us. On a day, Father, where there's so much celebrated about love and relationships, Jesus, I know that there are people in here whose relationships are, are hurting, that their relational sort of bent of their life is one in which they feel lonely and scared. And so, Father, would you be really apparent to those folks today? Jesus, would you be really apparent to all of us? But for those of us who have a longing to be connected, a longing to be heard and to be seen, to be known, Father, would you, um, would you express in a very clear way how you desire to know us and that you see us and that you understand us in a way we could never be understood by anybody else? And so, Father, would you meet the very real feelings of loneliness? Would you celebrate with us? Would you meet us in our joy and our sorrow today, Jesus? Father, would you hear us when we speak? And Jesus, would you speak to us in such a way that we might hear you? So for just a moment, as we do each week, would you just speak to us in a bit of stillness? We might hear your voice. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we long um, to be in a deeper, more meaningful relationship with. And so, Father, we pray that you would be um, very apparent to us today. In your name, Father. Amen. Amen. Uh, as you came in, you got, a, you got a little bulletin on that bulletin. is, a, is an outline if you want to follow along. Great. There, you can do that as well. We'll be... Um, Bouncing around a bit, we'll be in Luke chapter 6 as well as Psalm 141, but we're going to kind of dance around a little bit today, so you might want to you know, kind of follow along as best as you can. If you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of those things, everything you need will be on the screen, but whatever helps you to kind of think, process, consider what we're talking about, do that, whatever you need. All right, now, our deepest need, everybody in the world has basically a, a similar need, and our deepest need in all of our relationships, at least one of the deepest needs, and one of the things everybody is seeking in the world is this one thing, to be understood. Everybody wants to be understood. I mean, most, the most egregious offense that you could commit probably in so many ways in relationships is, that to, is to intentionally or unintentionally make no effort to understand someone else. This is the plight of every single teenager that ever lived. Nobody understands me. And what they're saying in some way is, I want to be understood, I want to be known. And in some way or another, this idea of being misunderstood is probably one of the most painful and most difficult things in the world. But we live in a world where misunderstandings happen all the time. Despite the best intentions of people, we live in a world where misunderstandings happen all the time. Um, everybody has, um, well I would say this way, the greatest gift that the iPhone ever gave to people is really the autocorrect mistakes that we have made. <laughs> 
and to be honest, I had to look. It took me a very long time to find a couple examples of these because most of them were so over-the-top inappropriate. They were very funny, people sending things to their mothers and back and forth that were unbelievably inappropriate. So I had, these are, these are the most appropriate ones. Like if I just want to show you some of these. Some of you have seen these, but I just want to show you some of these autocorrect sort of fails. Here they are. How's school going? Oh, it's great. It has been the best weed of my life. <laughs> I meant week, not weed, I swear. Sounds great, but don't tell your father. <laughs> and there's this one right here. My mom just got me the, be- the softest sheets ever. They're plaid flannel. Oh, I'm jealous. I love the feel of flatulence in bed. <laughs> OMG, OMG. Flannel, I'm dying. That was epic. <laughs> We're getting there. Where's Granny? I thought she was going to be here for Thanksgiving. Grandma's in the grave. <laughs> what grave? What are you saying? Oops, sorry, garage. <laughs> I haven't seen Grandma in a while. She's in the grave. All right. Jen and I are going skiing on Saturday. Want to go? Feel free to inflate your girlfriend and bring her too. <laughs> what? Inf- invite, laughing, sorry. Oh, that was way harsh, dude. <laughs> If you don't get that, <laughs> better if you do get that, you need to talk to someone. All right, here we go. <laughs> someone, oh my gosh. Okay, here we go. Guess what I just did? What might that be? Wait, no surprise me. I cleaned your meth and crack whores out of my car since you hadn't done it yet. <laughs> Mess of crackers. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, stupid phone. What's been going on in your car, man? All right. Do I have one more? I think I have one more. How did dad's doctor's appointment go? Okay, he has Harper. The doctor prescribed prostitutes two times a day. <laughs> wow. In that case, I have heartburn too. <laughs> Best prescription ever. Oh, gosh. Not funny. Prilosec. That's my worst autocorrect ever. <laughs> Twice a day. <laughs> I think that's the last one. Edwin, is that the last one? Do I have one more? I can't remember. Oh, just, we'll just see. Okay, here we go. All right, now, there is, trust me, those were the tamest ones I could find, to be honest. It was very, very embarrassing and funny to look at some of those things. Now, the truth is, it is easy to misunderstand. It's, cre- it's easy to create misunderstanding. And it's like, it's not just about getting the right words, of course, which we all know. You've been in relationship situations probably in your life whether it's friends or it's dating or whatever else it might be in your life or marriage, whatever, where you said the right words but all of the other things did not match up and so you got in trouble. Or someone else was saying, the, I mean, it was like you heard the right words but you didn't hear the whole subtlety and the affect and the, not, and the sort of nuance of the speaking and you got it completely wrong. There's so much that what we talk about, that the ways in which we communicate to each other. For me, I don't know if this is maybe your different than me, because of course, as we now know, I'm a wreck, which is sort of appealing to people, (laughs) is that for me, I feel like at times, most of what I'm saying, I mean like a large portion of what I'm actually saying in every interaction is essentially a collection of long, like long series of autocorrect fails. Like it just, I'm trying to get it right and I can't get it right. And I mess this stuff up all the time. Now, remember, just to reiterate, everybody has been there and we all need help. Every single one of us really 
needs help with this. And I want to give you just a couple things to consider. There's this two-edged sword we have with our, with our words. Which really is that on one level, we want things to be said. Like we want the things that we say poorly to be forgotten. Like, oh, I didn't say that well. Please forget that I said that. And we also want the things that we say really well to be remembered, to be sort of immortalized forever. And so we have sort of this difficult place in which we aren't really sure what to do. I love the way David writes it. This is a king who wrote a bunch of prayers in the Bible called Psalms. He says it this way. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Anybody ever said that prayer? Like, I'm about to go into a situation. Dear God, help me say the right things. Or, dear God, help that person forgive me because I said some really stupid things. Right? Those are things in which we are probably familiar. I have, um, I, I frequently say this prayer. I probably don't say it enough. But basically what David's saying is I'm asking for a supernatural kind of help in the way that I speak and use my words. Because we all know sometimes we need something supernatural to help us deal with this. I was... Um, I was talking with my wife the other day, and I, I just, she, she's getting dressed, and I go, I go, wow, Amanda, you still got it. I'm like, like you just, you still got it. You're, I mean, you are looking good. I go, those jeans, I mean, they're kind of, they're tight. They look good. <laughs> she looks at me stone-faced. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally going, what did I just, what did I just say? This is like a good, this is what husbands should say to their wives. I mean, this is like, I tell guys to tell their wives this is, I mean, it's like a good thing. I actually believe this is to be true, and she goes, these are my fat jeans. <laughs> First of all, just ladies, real quickly, guys don't have a pair of those. <laughs> so we don't know what that is. And I did, not, I did not know what to do. I mean, I was like, the, the, oh my gosh, can I please be invisible? Oh. She, I mean, it was, I, I don't need to go much further in the explanation except to say, I really did say something and I wish I had known before that I had said that. I'm like, and I'm trying to, of course, every, like every guy try to backpedal. No, I mean, it's like you look right. Those are, obviously, you're like, they, you're, you're skinny. You don't need to have fat jeans because you're skinny. But you, you do, and you're skinny and beautiful. And I don't know. Do you want to be skinny? Do you want to? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Ah, like nothing. I got nothing right there. But I did mean she did look great. That's all I got. Okay. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Then he says this. Don't let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me, let me eat their delicacies. So interesting, as we're in Valentine's Day and the idea of eating chocolate and all this stuff. But here's what I want you to capture in this. I think there's something really important. He's saying, don't let my heart be drawn to what's evil, right? But I think there's something kind of, kind of critical that links it to what's actually being said. In other words, there's some kind of interconnectedness between where our heart might go and the words that we say, there's a connectedness to a deeper part of who we are that our words might actually reveal. That our speech, if it's unguarded, could take us somewhere. And what David is sort of what David knows that all of us are aware of, at least at some level, is that words matter. Our words really matter. Jesus speaks a lot about this as well. He says this in Luke chapter 6, 43. He says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. 
people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And then to sum it up, he says this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. One translation um, says that it's out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks what comes out of the overflow of the heart. And this is what's really terrifying to all of us. Because it isn't, the thing that's most terrifying to us isn't that our words don't matter, that we won't be heard, or that our words have no weight. It means it's, there's something even more terrifying than that, which is really scary for us. It's that you mean everything you say. Oh, no. <laughs> you mean everything. This is what Jesus is saying. There are no things that are, I mean, there's very few, I could say this. You have to bear with me a little bit because there are some things I suppose that, you know, like young speakers are learning how to speak. I'm talking like three and four-year-olds, like when they're trying to say words and they don't get it right. Like when you try and get a three-year-old to say the word fire truck and they say it wrong, it's funny to the older siblings. That's a person who gets, in a, who gets like an out clause. But for everybody else, what Jesus is saying is you mean what you say. The slip-ups, the things you say to which you wish you could say, like when you're in elementary school, up into like junior high, you, you say things and you want to say, ooh, that means can I take that back? When we get older, you say your wife looks good in those tight jeans, and she tells you, you wish you could take it back, but you meant she looks good. You wish you could, you just, there's a part that you mean everything you say. It's as if, it, we like it that we, the idea that some words have meanings and some words don't, that some words have some kind of value, and so we want to just pick and choose what those are, but Jesus will say everything you say, out of your heart comes your words, and that's an indication of who you are. You are what you say. I love the way Eugene Peterson says, he says this way, your true being brims over into true words. The essence of who you are cannot be blocked, eventually it will spill out into the words that you say. What you say is who you are. Oh no. <laughs> what you say is who you are. Proverbs 18 says this way. The tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The Bible has a deep consideration for the weight of words. I've actually found this to be, as I thought about this, I found this being a, a father of, of three kids, I found this to be actually kind of helpful. As I talk to my own kids about, you know, they always want to know what words can we not, can we and can we not say, you know, what words are we allowed to use. And, and here's actually the way we, we do it in our house more often. There are some words we just go, they're, they're on the, like, no-fly list. You cannot use these words ever. But what we say is this. In order to, which has been helpful to us, and maybe this is helpful to you. Some of you have heard me say this before, which is this. Each word's have a particular weight. Every single word has a particular weight. Some words weigh more than others. So when you use those words, they require a different kind of strength or a different kind of circumstances to utilize them. Or they require a particular time and place to be used. Other words are lighter and can be used more easily. So for instance, I'll, use, I'll tell my kids, that's a ping pong ball word, you can use it, or that's, a, that's like a bowling ball word. So when you use it, you have to be aware that you're, you're rolling something out there. Or if you try to treat a, a bowling ball word like a ping pong ball and you throw it at someone, it will have damage. You have to know a, a bowling ball belongs in a particular context in a particular place. So when you want to throw it, it better be in a particular context place. And when you misuse it, you'll see the impact of it. 
So I'll say, that's a heavy word to my kids. You can't use that one that way. Are you prepared for what's going to happen, though? I would say in my own life, by and large, some of the most painful experiences I've had as someone who's in interaction with people in any capacity is because I have gotten those things wrong. I've gotten them mixed up. Most often that shows up in my life, in my frequent misappropriation of sarcasm. <laughs> that I use it in a place where I feel like, remember, sarcasm essentially is you're hoping the other person understands that a bowling ball word that you're using is actually not that. And when they get it wrong, their feelings really get hurt. I've had to be confronted by my own children before <laughs> going that I don't always appreciate when you're sarcastic with me which I literally have to say, I don't know what else to say, how to speak to you. Like, what other, I don't know other words. This is all I know how to talk in is in sarcasm. But it's just purely an example of, there are, there are words, all words have value. Some words have a greater weight. And the Bible seems to authenticate the idea that there is something really worth considering, that your words have power and weight, that there, we, there is a moment in which we ought to consider how words ought to be treated. So what do we do? At times the Bible is the most practical, like, it's the most, like no matter what you think about Jesus, no matter what your entry point is into Jesus, no matter how you think about where you came into today, whether or not you're a person who has great relationships or you're nervous about being in church or you don't have, you, this is maybe your first, whatever it might be, the Bible at times is so incredibly practical. Now, what the Bible will say to master this thing we're going to talk about today, what the Bible will say in so many words is, to really have an effectiveness in this, you're going to have to have a supernatural transformation. It's part of the spiritual ongoing process that's, that's initiated in the person of Jesus. You're going to get practical stuff, but if, to really have it to have really sinking in kind of effect, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to have this submission to this person of Jesus to make it really work. That's just what the Bible will say. You may disagree with it, but that's just what the Bible will say. Now to get to that point, I have to start right here. This is um, in the book of James, and I want you to listen. This is, this is like... Classic stuff. So just listen to the book of James. Anytime I teach on James, I always have to do this too. Start right here at the beginning of James. Whoops, there we go. Beginning of James. It says this, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and the, out of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, here's what I just want you to capture. Uh, there is this guy, a guy named James, who is writing this letter to the early church. And he's writing it to people. The 12 tribes is a reference to all the people of Israel. He's re referencing all the people who may be anywhere in the world. He's referencing to Jewish Christians. He's saying, you guys, I'm writing to you guys. Greetings. Now, I want you to capture just a few things here really quickly. First is this. James uses this word at the very beginning here, this word servant. It actually, in, in Greek, is this word right here, doulos. Okay? It's, the word, it's, a, it's a word that doesn't just mean servant. Other translations of the Bible will have it this way, slave. James says, as he's writing his letter, I am the servant, the slave of this person, Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to you guys. He's willingly placed himself under the authority of this person, Jesus, and now he's writing as a person who is a slave to Jesus. Now, what's remarkable about this, not only is that he's like willingly choosing the position of a slave to follow this person, Jesus, it's that James has a half-brother. James's half-brother is Jesus. Whoa. Just try to wrap your head around that for a second. Literally, his older brother was God's gift to the world. <laughs> Try to wrap your head around that for a second. Your older brother is literally 
the answer to all of the evil that ever lived in the whole world. The rescuer, the bringer of all things that are good, the bringer of God's kingdom, that's your older brother. Imagine, some of you still don't get it. Imagine growing up in that household. When you and Jude, your other brother, come in a little bit late, later for curfew, and it's like, oh, Jesus, I didn't know you were going to be up. Can you not tell mom and dad? I cannot. <laughs> Mary's like, hey, Joseph, who didn't take the trash out? Jesus is like, I know who didn't take the trash out. <laughs> Whose job was it? It was James's job. Oh, God, you know, this is like, Jesus, come on. You have to imagine how incredibly difficult this is. This is an older brother who can never lie, can never, can never cover for you, who never, ever made a mistake. Why are you treating me so bad? You know, why can't you be like your older brother? Because he's perfect. <laughs> Think about that precedent. The whole, I mean, there is, I mean, Jesus is, I mean, Jesus literally, he's, he's discovering, however that is, like he has, he has become, he is this rescuer for the whole world. And he talks about it eventually. In fact, at the early part of his ministry, James and his, and his mother and a bunch of other folks are going to go rescue him because they think he's crazy. Like, stop talking like you're God's gift to the world. And he is. <laughs> what if it were true, right? James says, I'm a guy who's placed myself under the authority of this person, Jesus. And then he says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This goes on. This is a famous passage. Perhaps you've heard it before. But here's all I want you to capture is the early church, the early Jewish church is a church that is absent. Well, all, the, all the early church. But particularly the early Jewish church is one that is being persecuted at all levels. The P, he has to write to them saying, look, I'm a slave of Jesus and I get it. I know that there is so much trial. And he starts this long sort of conversation about what it means to live out of some kind of joy in which you face trials because it does something to you. It reveals something about you. And he goes into this long stuff about this. In other words, what he's saying is, for us to live as God's people, united together in relationship, who are in constant trial, we're going to have to have some ways to consider the way we talk to each other, the way in which we interact. And he'll say it like this. First is this. What he's trying to avoid is a scenario. You've heard it before. The scenario in which maybe you live this. The scenario in which you have a tough day at work. Or your spouse has a tough day at work. Or your brother or your sister or whatever else is has a very tough day outside of the home. And they come home and immediately, for lack of a better term, they kick the dog. The dog didn't do anything, but they're just so ticked off at the world that the first person they attack is the, the dog who happens to be at their feet. What James is saying is, the world is really, really tough. It is so hard. And what he's going to say is you're going to be up against a lot and we're going to have to avoid some way of kicking the dog in our, own, in our own midst. Because if we're really clear about some stuff when it comes to communication, most often the people that are way out there farthest from the people we actually love the most tend to have a really surprising effect, particularly negative effect, on us so that the people that are closest to us feel the wrath of that the most. Say that again. The people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we see in traffic, the people we see in our own, at the grocery store, those people tend to have a surprising negative effect when they say negative things to us. But the people who pay the dearest price for that tend to be the people who are closest to us. And James will say in a community of people who belong to Jesus, who are under duress constantly because of persecution, we're going to have to figure out some ways to deal with each other. Here's where James says the most practical thing probably for all relationships in the Bible. It's so genius. In fact, he double underlines it by saying this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. 
he's already said stuff that will, it's a letter to the church that will ultimately become the Bible. <laughs> and then he says, but, but wait, make sure you listen to this. This is going to be huge. And he says it this way. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's like the simplest, clearest, most helpful kind of relational communication advice ever. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I thought about this this week as I was preparing this. We're going to talk, break this down a little bit. But my own version of what this looks like looks like this. If we were to look at Jeff 119. <laughs> my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. I can do that. This is like, this is how I do it. More often than not, this is me. I am slow to listen. I am quick to speak and quick to become angry. Just to reiterate the real version of this. <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. My own version again. Slow to listen, quick to speak and quick to become angry. There is some real value in what James is saying here. No matter what you, make, what you might think about Jesus, that this is so incredibly practical. And I want to just kind of break some of these things down a little bit. We don't have time to go super deep into these things. But I do want to give you a sense at least a little bit about the way in which I see these things. Here's one way to consider them. Okay, so everyone should be quick to listen. Let's just spend a moment talking about what this looks like. When we talk about the idea of being quick to listen, the expression here is that there is some kind of eagerness to pay attention to someone else. That if words are not to be, well, let's put it this way. To take someone's words lightly, and we've all been in this experience before, is literally to take that person lightly. When someone is expressing something to us to which we say, yeah, 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 mm -hmm, like we kind of give off the it doesn't matter how you actually are saying these things, we're actually saying to that person, I don't take you as if you have any real weight. When I treat you as if your words have weight, what I'm saying to you is you have Wait, you have something important. Often in the Bible you'll see that the word honor, particularly in Hebrew, is a word that actually equates to the word weight. To honor someone else is to have an eagerness about their words, an attentiveness to listening to them. Someone who's quick to listen, who is eager to listen to another person, knows what's at stake. My guess is you know people in your life, you might even be this person, you might know people in your life who are quick to listen. That they are in such a hurry to get to a place to hear what you have to say and the life it gives to you. It's unbelievable. If you've never been around a person who genuinely cares about, first of all, the first time you meet someone like this, if you're like me, you meet someone like this, you're like, you don't believe that they're that attentive. You cannot believe someone's that attentive. And they're like repeating back what you said and you're like, wow, you really were listening. And they ask you this question, this is like the greatest thing. So they're listening and they're just, they're not even saying, they're just giving you the, mm -hmm, wow, cool. That must have been hard or wow, unbelievable. And then they say, the craziest thing. They'll say, is there more? What else happened? And you're like, you want more words? Okay. And you give them more. And they have this, like, you just can't believe what they would say. That they, they, they literally are asking, is there more? Until you run out of words. And you're like, I don't think there's any more. And they're like, that sounds amazing. Because it can't, they, and it's like just about you. I have to be honest. This message is one of those that I was like reading into my own heart. Like, oh gosh, this is cutting a little deep for me. I am not a person who likes to say to someone else after they've been talking for a while, <laughs> is there more? <laughs> because what I'm actually saying is I hope there's not any more. 
I wish that wasn't the truth. That's just how I literally, I, more often than I like to admit, I'm listening, this is a painful confession, I'm listening often just enough so that I can think about what I'm going to say back to a person. That is not expressing an honor to the other person. Consider for a moment what it might be like to simply listen to someone else and then express to them, repeating back what they have said, it sounds like this is what you were saying. What else happened? How else did you feel? Is there more? Consider that what might happen to the relationship you have with that person to speak to them like that. Everyone should be quick to listen. Proverbs 18, 13 says it this way. To answer before listening, that's folly and shame. Whoops. <laughs> For guys, I would say, you know, there is, well, I'm just going to speak in some generalizations here. For guys, research tells us that women are better, you know, at words and communication than we are. I'm just tell you, you know, they, I was kind of actually kind of excited when Jennifer said earlier, hey, how many of you guys have married 15 years or more? I'm, we're coming up on 16 years. I'm like, it took me a pretty long time to capture at least an idea of where I ought to go. Maybe not that I've got it, but where I ought to go. Which is that listening for a problem and to, uh, and to solve a solution is not really the way to go. And this is really something, in other words, when you're hearing someone else speak to you, guys do this most often. Most often we're hearing someone talk to us because they, we assume that they want us to solve a problem or find a solution for them. Women are trying not to nod. Women are fascinated about that. They can listen to someone talk forever and ever about a problem and never get to a solution. And, and guys listening to this would be like, what is the point of that conversation? <laughs> I do not get why you're saying You're wasting words. There is oxygen being wasted right now with that conversation. Plant a tree because that was a waste. No. <laughs> guys, this is for us. An eagerness to understand, which means to give way to another person, eagerness to listen, is not the same thing as an eagerness to solve a problem. We make it the same, but by and large, when we do this, we are making light of the person trying to find a solution for their problem as opposed to entering into it with them. Research will tell us that most problems do not have, that big people bring up in conversation and relationships, most of those problems do not have solutions. Most of what's being said in relational contexts is about, I just simply want to be heard and listened to. I need you to validate how I feel and the circumstances in which I'm facing problems. That's for us guys more than women. Women tend to get this better than guys. People do not speak simply to find a solution. James will say this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. When I think about the idea of being slow to speak, what I mean is that there's, this is a person whose words, who understands that their words have weight. That they literally are saying, if my words really, if I really do mean, even if I don't want them always to, if I really do mean what I say, if Jesus is right, if Jesus wasn't lying, think of that for a moment. If, if I really do mean everything I say, because out of my heart, it comes, whatever comes out of my mouth is an indication of what's in my heart, my own being flowing out into my words, then I really have to consider that my words have weight. Said differently, if our words matter, if our words matter. We should take time to cultivate them. If our words matter, we should take time to cultivate them. In confrontation, in care, in casual talk, even in positive speech. When we think about, you know, communication in marriage, we tend to think about, especially, or relationships, we tend to think about it in terms of, in any of our friendship relationships, dating relationships, whatever. When someone says we need to talk, we all go like, oh, no. 
rarely do we think this is a really good reason we have to talk. It's just everything's going great. But I want you to think just for a moment about the, the po- positive speech and affirmation. My kids, we do this thing at, at night, most nights when we, when, we're, when we have dinner together, which is a couple nights a week at least. We make a point of it. All the TV's off. Everything's off. We sit together around the table. And my wife made years ago, she made this, she took a lazy Susan. You know that thing that you put stuff on and where you're, too, you're literally too lazy to reach to grab it? You spin the little dial. I'm like, oh, now I can reach it. I could have reached it there, but it's now I spin this little table that spins around for me and I grab stuff. And she divided it up into six portions, and she wrote in the six portions. I should bring a picture of it. But she wrote in the six portions, kind of like pizza slices, little things that you have to say. So it would be like, one thing I'm thankful for. I saw God today when. What's some of the other ones? Uh, we do this thing called the loving circle, which is where you tell the person to your right what you love about them. And you kind of go through this whole thing. There's even one that's just kind of the jackpot, which is the affirmation station. So our kids, I remember all the, all the, I can't remember all the stations. But anyway, you spin this thing. We, we now refer to it as the wheel of destiny. So we do the wheel of destiny, and it's like, okay. And so we do this thing, and we make our kids so they get it. And again, the jackpot being, of course, the affirmation station. And when they do it, we make our kids. Because one of the things I found as adults is that we are very, we have a very tough time hearing people affirm us. We, we, we despise it. As a staff, I make everybody at their birthday, we, we say, we affirm them. We affirm the people on our staff um, with great enthusiasm and energy. And you watch people like, oh gosh, can we skip me? I don't have to do this. We, I mean, nobody really, it's just people who work in a church. And we have a hard time with affirmation. So we make our kids speak in the second person and in the first person. What I love about you. My whoever, mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever. I, what I love about you is this. What I've seen about you is this. And this is why I love it. We make them be specific. We make them be really not, so they can't talk about, you're really cool, you're a nice person, you're whatever. It's like, you got to be specific. You can say nice, but you got to say it because. And I have to tell you, you guys are all going, that is the most magical family thing I've ever heard. It's, you guys have to tell you. And I'm, most of the time, it's, it's hell. We're like, I mean, I'm, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, sit down and listen to your sister. You say it again using the first person. <laughs> sit down. Sit down. You, don't lay down. You got to listen to him say this about her. Get up. Get up. <laughs> this is affirmation time. We're all positive speaking here. You'll listen. <laughs> That's the truth. And they want it every night. And it's always like, get back over here. We're not done. No one said you could get up. Sit down here again and say something nice about her. All the time. Because I want our kids to have a language that says, I I know how to be specific in affirmation and I know how to receive it. I want them to tell each other something that they will lose that the rest of the world will rob them of. Speak to each other in words of affirmation and consider the words that you're using because they matter. Take time to consider the weight of your words. Be slow to speak. Now, slow to speak is a virtual guarantee. It's not a perfect guarantee, but it's a virtual guarantee to prevent something that we like to call or the Bible will say is gossip. Loose words. Now, again, this is something, again, generalization. This is something mostly attributed to women. Men do it too. But I would say in my experience, only about half of what women are saying that could be constituted as gossip is actually intended to be malicious. It just comes out without thinking. It's just that there is a speech happening or someone's talking, something's going on, and it just sort of slips out. I don't think people are trying to be malicious. It just ends up being that way. And it takes on a life of its own because nobody slowed down for a moment. Say it differently. Proverbs 18, the lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. Which I like that. <laughs> the mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. 
the words of a gossip are like choice morsels and they go down to the inmost parts. Literally, the words of things that are, that are damaging to other people somehow manage to be pretty tasty. And we tend to metabolize those things pretty easily. And in some way or another, the idea of being slow to speak prevents that kind of thing at least to a, a pretty solid magnitude. There is something to be said about, I wonder if my words really, if I mean everything I say, if I pause for a moment, I wonder if this will change the way I speak about the ones I care about the most or the people in my life. Then he says this, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What I want you to capture first and foremost is that anger is not sin. It's not all anger is sin. There are things for which we ought to be angry. Most of us are angry at the wrong things. There are things for which we ought to be angry. There are social injustices, there's racism, there's prejudice, there's hate, there's violence. Those are things we ought to go, those aren't okay, I'm not okay. Those things, I should hate those things. But by and large in our lives, the things for which we are the most angry don't include the great social ills of the world. The things about which we're angry really point to something else in our lives. If you have ever been angry, by my, my guess is that there's probably something behind that anger. In other words, to say, why is this whatever it is making me so angry? Most of the time we rush to anger without ever giving any consideration as to why we're so fired up. A really wise person in my life, she's um, actually a person I've been to a number of times for counseling for my own kids and family and stuff. And she says, very wise, anger is always the second emotion. That it is, there is something else always behind whatever we're feeling that's causing us to be angry. And what is that there? Now, I would say more often than not, my own experience, what causes those two things, or causes anger more than anything else is two things. Most often. Some kind of frustration which is really about why I wanted things to work out a certain way and they didn't work out. And fear. Fear of embarrassment, fear of shame, fear of looking like a failure, fear of failing, fear of not being enough. All of these things tend to contribute to our own experience of rushing to anger. Fear of losing control, fear of running out of time. These are all things that fuel our anger. And the Bible will say, there are some worthy things to be angry about. In relationship, as James is talking to this church, persecuted, under pressure, what he'll say is, let's, let's consider what it might look like to be quick to listen. Let's consider what it might look like to be slow to speak and slow to get angry. What he'll say is there's too much at stake for this group of people who are going to be bound together following Jesus. If we cannot find a way to live together in such a way that we aren't, because we're under so much pressure and so much persecution, he'll say, the early church. Way different than our circumstances. But he'll say, we can't go around coming home and kicking the dog every day because it's hard. We're going to have to figure out how to talk to each other in such a way. Now again, to reiterate, James will say, and the Bible will say over and over again, the way in which this works out, the way in which this happens in such a way that it actually has some kind of marked difference in your life is when you are under the authority of Jesus. It will make, it, now even just to attempt this a little bit will make some difference in your life. But to really understand this, it's about under the authority of Jesus. So here's all I want you to do as we consider. I want you to consider what it might look like. Just very, but this is the only thing that I want you to consider. In this week, what would it look like if only by a degree 
in your own speech and communication, you are a little bit quicker to listen, a little bit slower to speak, and a bit slower to become angry. What might that look like in your life? How might your own relationships, the people that you care most about, and the people you don't even know that well, how might they get a picture of you that changes? A picture of what it looks like to be someone who cares and values other people in relationships. In a moment, we're going to sing. This is how we always respond. There's time for singing and for prayer. If you need prayer, we'll have folks up here love to pray with you. I want you to consider as we sing, just a little differently. Consider that you mean everything you say. Consider that as we sing these words, you actually mean them. That they have some real bearing on your life. That they're actually, they're actually part of your own experience of what's in your heart. And so we're going to sing with a full voice, with joy, with generosity. We're going to sing these things. Consider what they might mean. Let's pray together and then we'll respond in worship and prayer. Father, every single one of us has room to grow in this area. We have been wounded by words that came out too quickly. We have wounded other people by words that have come out too quickly. We have been quick to, to get angry. We've been quick to speak. We've been slow to listen. And Father, we, what's, what's remarkable to us, Jesus, is that you are in, unendingly patient. That you hear us and you're patient with us. And you call to us saying, speak to me. And we call to you and you speak to us. Father, we're so grateful that you are so different than us in so many ways. And you call us to be more and more like you. Father, as we consider what this might mean in our lives this week, might we receive your words of encouragement to us that calls us dearly loved children. Might we consider that everybody receives that same blessing in their lives. People who walk with you are intended to be and to live as your children. Might we extend the, the dignity to every person in the world who was created in your image. Father, help us to be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
saying, all glory, honor, and power are yours. When we're in speech and we're talking to each other, to understand that we fall under this great God who loves us so dearly, puts us in a place to be able to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Would you hold out your hands? Would you just receive this blessing? Some of you are unfamiliar with this. There's nothing magical about this. It's just simply a way in which we say, I receive freely what God would place into my own life, into my own hand. So would you receive this? Jesus, we are longing to live lives that are full of love and generosity and joy. And in our own speech and our communication, Father, at times we get tripped up. We stumble in the dance of relationships, particularly in communication. And yet, Father, you give us such practical words. Father, you've already modeled to us what it is to be someone who is quick to listen, to hear our cries to be slow to speak, that your words, Father, you, you, they matter to you. You spend time to make them matter, that we might hear them. Father, you are slow to get angry. The Bible repeats over and over again that you are quick to have mercy and slow to be angry. Father, might we live that in our own lives. Give us the power to do that. Might we be people who live in the beauty of relationships as we grow into this picture of what it means to speak with words, to talk with each other in communication that honors each other. And so, Father, it's in your powerful name. All glory, honor, and power is yours. Amen. 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 Hey, one last thing. Aaron did this this week. I want you guys to know this. On our Instagram, he put the link to all the songs that we have sung today. So if you are like, oh, what, was, what are these songs? I want to know what we're singing or I want to get prepared for what I'm supposed to sing this week or whatever. You can do that at home. Follow us on Instagram. You can get an idea of what that's happening. All the links to Spotify, correct? So you can follow along however you want, but we'd love to help you. And they'll be up this week. You can follow along with, you like the song or know what it is, it'll be there too. You can sing all week. You can keep your worship going in your car. Unless you turned off your radio like I did for Lance. All right. Have a great week, you guys. God bless you. We'll see you on the patio.